Welcome to 2019. Happy New Year, everybody. <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. It's great to see you. Thanks for being here. Um, grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. If you have a printed Bible, that's great. If you have an electronic Bible, that's totally fine, too. Um, we just encourage people to bring the Bible with them. Uh, it's the Word of God. It's what all of our messages are based on. It's what our lives should be based on, and we definitely want to get there for sure. <clears throat> just one more reminder about tonight. I am so looking forward to this. This time when we come together and we just pray as a body, first Sunday night of the year, to, um, we've been doing it for several years now, and uh, it's a huge, meaningful time, um, and it just really gets us pointing true north to Jesus, and so I really encourage you to be here, um, again, 5.30, and uh, the prayer time is just super cool and uh, very, very uh, beneficial to us individually and as a church. So in fact, since we're talking about prayer, why don't we take a second and uh, let's pray right now. Um, God, I, I hope that we're actually praying without ceasing, that we are doing that on a consistent basis. I'm just talking to you and um, having our spirit listen to what your spirit might be saying. Um, God, as we enter this new year, uh, may it be obvious that we're seeking you and not seeking stuff and not seeking uh, the things of this world, but that we would be pursuing a relationship with you and, and helping others to do the same thing. We're very grateful for what you have done for us. And we thank you uh, for this year and for this day and for this breath right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so it's New Year's, and uh, I like the cartoon Calvin and Hobbes. I like a lot of comics. Um, but this one is pretty funny. So uh, Hobbes says to Calvin, are you making any New Year's re resolutions for the New Year? And Calvin says, yeah, I'm resolving just to wing it and see what happens. So... Uh, I think I can do that one. <clears throat> what, what I like about God is he doesn't, uh, he doesn't make it so that we have to wing it. I mean, he makes it very clear who we are and what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to be about. And uh, we're going to be singing at the end of the message the words to this song, God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you, you're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom, you know just what to do. That's so good, God gives us clarity. He helps us understand. It's very clear. And Jesus was very clear when he gave us not only what we're supposed to do, but who we are supposed to be. And he did it with two what we call great statements. So Jesus gave the great commandment, and he gave the great commission. And they're both huge, important summary statements. So the great commandment is this. You're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is where we get our mission statement. To love God, to love people, and impact the world comes from this great commandment of Jesus. And then Jesus also gave what is called the Great Commission. And that is to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe or to obey or to take care of uh, following all of the things that Jesus has given us. And that is where our vision statement comes from, to make disciples, to reach, love, imitate, and duplicate. So we're trying to live out the great commandment and the great commission. And Jesus makes it really simple. He takes a lot of stuff, like the whole Bible, and he summarizes it for us in this great way that helps us um, have clarity. <clears throat> and when I think of those things, none of those have to do with a building. None of those have to do with attendance numbers. Jesus was all about relationships, all about people. 
And that's why Jesus came to earth. That's why Jesus <clears throat> lived. That's why Jesus died. That's why Jesus rose again. That's why Jesus ascended to, to the Father and allowed the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. And that's why Jesus is going to return. Because of relationships, because of people. And that's what we should be about. All of those commandments, those commandments, that commission is all about people and all about relationship. And as we walk through January as a church, we're going to unpack what we are and who we are as a church and who God has called us to be. So that's what we're doing in this series called Next Steps in January. So let's start with some basics. If someone says to you, well, how do you know if Discover's doing well? You have an answer. And this is the answer. This is the win at Discover. It's a life that's becoming more like Jesus. It's a person who's changing to become more like Jesus. That is the win. That's it. It's not anything else. If someone tells you something else, they're not on board. <laughs> it's really simple. It's a life that's changing to be more like Jesus because that's why Jesus came, for us to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So it's about relationship. It's about changing to become more like Jesus. That's the win. And we do that in relational community. <clears throat> the the two-word uh, strategy that we use is called relational discipleship. Discipleship, we'll talk about in just a second, but you understand the relational part, right? It means that we do this together. We are a community. We're a body of believers. It's not me as a person. It's not you as a person. It's us as followers together. So we do this relationally. That's how it works. God has a plan, and God has to be in it, obviously. So it's relationship with each other and our relationship with God. And as we think about this idea of discipleship, well, what is discipleship? Well, let me give you just a really brief part of it. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because we talked about it in October, but again, this is going to start unfolding throughout the year. Discipleship is all of who we are, but it includes our finances, our stewardship, if you will. And here at Discover, part of discipleship is to ensure that all people who are connected to Discover have the opportunity to learn how to live according to God's financial plan. Now understand, this is not about us asking for your resources. This is about us as a church providing resources to one another that help us know how to follow Jesus properly. It's all about learning to walk according to God's financial plan because it makes all the sense in heaven. It doesn't make any sense in the world. It makes all the sense in heaven. So that's a part of discipleship, but that's just part of it. And the way that we define discipleship is taking a verse that Jesus gave us in Matthew 4.19. Jesus was calling some people to him, and he said, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And we use that as our way to define discipleship or what a disciple is, a follower of Jesus. It's not the only way to define discipleship, but it's the way that we've determined makes the most sense for us here at Discover. There are three parts to it. Follow me, I will make you fish for people. And if you put a triangle with it, you can sort of see the picture even a little more um, and what happens with it. And so underneath there, it says, follow Jesus. The first thing we do is we follow Jesus. And the next thing we do is we're changed by Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you. So there's something happening there. There's a change that's taking place. There's a transformation Jesus says, I will make you. You were this, I'm going to make you something else. So transformation, change is happening in our lives. And the last part is to be on mission with Jesus, to fish for people, 
to, to go again into a relational environment and talk with and be with and learn from and help other people grow as followers of Jesus. So follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, be on mission with Jesus, and then you can maybe help remember those things by these three H words. To follow Jesus is a head thing. It's an intellectual decision. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, and we make this decision every day, but more than once a day. I'm choosing this. The change that happens is not something that we can do on our, on our own. We are connected to the vine, connected to Jesus, and that happens in our heart, in the interior part of us. Transformation is a heart thing. And then to be on mission with Jesus is to simply say, yes, I'm going to be physically engaged, whatever that looks like. Be the hands of Jesus, be the feet of Jesus, be the mouth of Jesus, whatever that looks like. It's a holistic thing. A follower of Jesus is, is about physical, spiritual, relational, financial, emotional engagement and allowing God to be involved in all those areas of your life and being involved with one another as well. So that's kind of the basics of how we would live out the two great statements of Jesus. And we're going to unpack those three, follow me, I will make you fish for people. We're going to do those in the next three weeks in January. So hope you're here for all of those. <clears throat> but the way that we learn how to do this is to look to Jesus and look to the early people who followed Jesus and learn from their example. In 1969, in New Jersey, uh, some engineers came up with a way to capture an image digitally. Now, for those of you that are older like I am, you remember the days of film, right? When you would take the film out of the camera to the photo hut or wherever you went, and you got your film back, and you had like 24 pictures. Like 24 pictures might have been like three months, just so you guys know, not like three seconds. So 24 pictures, and you got them back, and there was usually like one good one, and the rest were all horrible. Um, but that's how you did it. But they, what they did, this changed everything about the photography industry and even the video industry, because it's all digital now. And the way they did that was they created what's called a CCD, and that was based on the human eye. They looked at the human eye, they imitated the human eye, and they said, if we can duplicate electronically what the human eye is doing, then we're going to be able to capture these images in digital format. And if you think that didn't change much, well, if you're in the astronomy profession, the Hubble telescope uses a lot of this technology. The Mars rover uses this technology. But every single one of us that has a smartphone, or basically any kind of phone, that has a camera in it, it's all done with a CCD. It changed so many things. But that was done only because of imitation. And that's what we're talking about here. We don't imitate <clears throat> things that are incorrect. We imitate the Word of God. We imitate the Holy Spirit. We imitate Jesus and imitate his followers as they have followed him. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start, um, not start, we're just going to jump into John chapter uh, 1, starting in verse 40. We're going to read through verse 49. We're going to get some examples of things that we should imitate as followers of Jesus. John 1, starting in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. 
The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and, Philip, uh, and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I have a question for you. Um, have you ever part purchased one of those... Um, pieces of furniture, like from Ikea or something, and you have to put it together with all of the instructions? Have you done that? Okay. If you haven't, you know, you've missed out on one of the great joys of life. That's all I can tell you. <clears throat> but uh, Teresa and I recently got a piece of, uh, like, a cheap stand to put under the TV so we could put some junk in there because we have too much stuff. But um, we got one of those, and it was one of those prefab deals, you know. And I've learned in this process, um, I'm a guy that doesn't really take too kindly to instruction, you know, I just like to do it on my own, but I figured out that it's really good to go ahead and look at that instruction thing and check out the parts when they say, look and make sure you have the parts, that's a really good idea, and to make sure you have A, B, C, and D, and J, and D, D, and E, 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 and all those letters and numbers and all that stuff correct, and you need to go through it sequentially, it really helps to follow the order, go from step A to step B to step three, or whatever it is, A, B, three, okay, anyway, um, but you know what's really amazing? God has this instruction manual for us, this book, this, the Holy Spirit who lives in us. But it is never linear. You, you can't create like a, a set of instructions and give them to somebody and say, this is all you have to do, and then you'll be a fully devoted follower of Jesus when you get to the end. Just go A, B, C, D, E, and it'll work out. That's not how it is. It's much more circular. It's much more complex. It's much more messy. It's much more personal. And it's much more effective. God sees where we are, meets us in that very place, and then helps us to change right there and, and to start to become more like him. And it's a process. And it's in here, and it's in here, it's in here. It's, it's a circular thing. It just keeps going. It keeps going. And our responsibility in this whole process of disciples is to start very simply. And that is first to follow Jesus ourselves, obviously. But once you're a follower of Jesus, your first thing to do is to simply invite somebody to Jesus. That's it. Invite someone to Jesus. Now, you can invite somebody to, to a worship service, to a youth group, to an event, to, you know, CIY, to a mission trip, to a service project, to your life group. But ultimately, you're not inviting people to an event. You're certainly not inviting them to a building or an experience that we're creating. You're inviting people to Jesus. We always need to bring people to Jesus. That's what these guys did here in this story. Invited their friends to Jesus. Andrew invites his brother, Peter, and I was thinking, what if Andrew said this? You know, I mean, I believe that Jesus is this, you know, Messiah. 
but that's really my personal faith. I don't want to impose that on anybody else. I don't want to create problems. I don't want to force myself on anybody else. If he had done that, it's possible that Peter never would have heard. And if you know anything about the early church and the followers of Jesus, Peter was a pretty big uh, leader, pretty influential, pretty important. But he came because Andrew invited him. And Philip brings his friend Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel has an interesting response. Our goal is to, to just bring people to Jesus and let them encounter Jesus. And when, when uh, Nathaniel hears about this, he has an interesting response. He says, you know, what good is going to come out of this? And you might have somebody say that to you out loud like Nathaniel did. Like, seriously, what good can come out of it? And maybe they're thinking it inside, even if they don't say it. It doesn't matter. Our responsibility is simply to point them to, bring them to Jesus, and let them have an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus is responsible for that relationship, that encounter. We bring people to Jesus. It's interesting, uh, there's a story in a book called The Workbook on Living as a Christian. And Maxie Dunham talks about how um, Hubert Humphrey was vice president of the United States who died. <clears throat> and at his funeral, there were people coming from literally all over the world. But there was one person who came who was kind of really not welcome. This person had just been through a, a large amount of humiliation and shame and honestly had taken the whole country through it on their own, and that was former President Richard Nixon. <clears throat> and when he walked in, people looked at him. No one walked over to him. He stood alone. People talked about him. And then the current president, the one who had come in after Nixon, after Ford, Jimmy Carter <clears throat> came in. Jimmy Carter was of a different political party than Nixon. But he was a follower of Jesus. And he actually was getting ready to go to his seat, and then he noticed that Nixon was standing by himself. And President Carter walked over to President Nixon, and he said, President Nixon, welcome home. Welcome home. Let me read this. It says, The incident was reported by Newsweek magazine, which wrote, If there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, it was that moment and that gesture of love and compassion. See, we don't produce an encounter with Jesus. We, we bring people to Jesus. And his love, his compassion is the thing that begins to transform hearts, change lives. And that's what we've experienced ourselves. People are transformed when they encounter Jesus. And we actually have two examples of that here in our text. <clears throat> the first one is kind of immediate. And it happens to this guy named Nathaniel, other um, uh, Gospels sometimes call him Bartholomew. But this guy, Nathaniel, um, he makes this comment, by the way, kind of offhandedly about could anything good come from Nazareth. Well, that might have been a, like a prejudicial comment, but it also could have been just an awareness of a sad reality that they were living. They were from the same basic area. He was from Cana. Jesus was from this area called Nazareth. And they were both in Galilee, and there was kind of this misunderstanding, this misperception that pretty much Galilee was worthless. 
And nothing ever came from Galilee that was worth anything. So it's kind of interesting that Jesus came from the worthless place within the worthless place, isn't it? But anyway, he either way, whether he was saying a negative comment about Nazareth specifically or about his own area and just feeling the weight of being in a place that was so depressed and so looked down upon, his change is pretty much immediate. We see that um, when he is introduced to Jesus, that he says, you need to come and see this guy. He is the son of Joseph. But once he meets Jesus himself, once he has a personal encounter with Jesus, he says, you are not the son of Joseph. You are the son of God. You're the king. And his transformation is pretty much immediate. And we see that sometimes with people. The other person that's brought to Jesus in this story, their transformation isn't quite as quick. This is Peter, again, One of the most dramatic transformations in the Bible happens in the life of Peter, but it doesn't happen on this day, although Jesus talks about how it will. Jesus is sort of proclaiming it before it happens. Jesus says to Simon, this volatile man, this man with a bad temper, this man who just is anything but stable, your name is going to be Peter, the rock. This is what Rodney Buchanan writes about this. Look at Simon Peter, the one who would forget Jesus' teaching about turning the other cheek and slash a man's ear off with a sword. The one who fled when danger neared and denied his master with a curse. Jesus dared to call him the rock. Jesus knew his real name. Everyone knew that Simon was a man of hot emotions. He was unstable. His temper flared. There were times he was uncertain of himself and times he couldn't make up his mind. His emotional reactions were completely unpredictable. A rock was the last thing most people associated with Simon. But Jesus saw through Simon's weakness and told them that his weakness could be his strength through the transforming power of God to accomplish his purposes in the world. That is what every man, woman, and young person needs today. We need someone who can look beyond our faults not only to love us, but to expect the best from us. Someone who will believe in us. Someone who will give us another chance. Someone who will call us by another name. We sang about it. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. You called my name, and I ran out of that grave, out of the darkness into your glorious day. Now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new, Jesus, when I met you. Monday morning, I was in the gym doing some work on a mount for a projector. And um, you guys have heard that famous saying in carpentry, measure twice, cut once. Sometimes if you measure once, you get to cut twice. (laughs) That's what I did. And I had put everything away. I had measured everything, cut these three pieces of wood put the two up, then took the other one in, which was supposed to fit between the two, and it was a half inch short. And uh, I thought, well, that's not so good, because, again, I put everything away, all the stuff, and I was like, but fortunately, there was another piece of wood, so I just took another piece of wood and cut it to the right length this time. But that mistake reminded me that we don't get a second chance. There are people around us who need to know about Jesus now, and we might be the first and maybe the only opportunity they'll have to hear about 
And we only have one life. Now, God gives us multiple opportunities in that life, but if you know when your last day is, you're different than the rest of us. We have one life where we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus, where we get to be the voice of Jesus, where we get to be in community with each other and in community with God. And we want to get that right. The world is desperate for a new message, a message that gives hope, a message that gives freedom, a message that brings peace, a message that gives salvation. And that message is Jesus. And in this new year, may we be the people who bring that message. May we be the new. Watch this video.